Well, welcome this morning. We're going to continue, or actually we're going to wrap up our uh, relationship series that we've been after for six weeks now. We've been tackling relationships. Uh, if you're new here or you haven't, or if you've, maybe you've missed a couple of messages, I would encourage you to go back to oscconnect.com and you can listen to any of the previous messages or you can download our OSC app and get the messages there. I would encourage you to go back and listen to those messages and catch up. Uh, every one of them was important, and today I want to wrap it up um, with a, a message I feel like God's just laid on my heart heavy. It's kind of personal to us. It's, it's right here in our wheelhouse, and, and it's just a message that I believe God wants to speak today. So, y'all ready? All right. So today I want to talk to you about something that I've noticed going on lately with some of you. Uh, it's, it's happened to Cheryl and I in the past many times. It's something that, that, that just really got my attention. It's something that's really been um, kind of wild. How many of you know marriage has been under attack for a long time? Okay, that's not going to change. Can we just settle that? Marriage, it, 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 it will remain under attack until Jesus comes back and then we go home with Jesus. Come on, somebody. Right? Can you turn me down just a hair, son? I don't like to hear myself talk. <laughs> and so it's, marriage has been under attack. It's been under attack for a long time. And we're, we're wrapping up a relationship series. But before you check out, if you're not married or you're, 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 you're separated or anything like that, don't check out yet because what I'm going to teach to you today can apply to many different things. So don't, don't say, oh, it's on marriage. I should have stayed home. It was a good day to stay home. Don't live in regret all of a sudden. Hang on for a second. God still has something for you today. Amen? Amen? So what I've seen lately is I've seen the enemy come through like a wrecking ball. I, I've seen him come through some families and just cause almost what looks like violence. Just comes through and just wrecks the whole thing. It's like, man, you can be trudging along and, and you're not fighting like you used to and you're getting along better and you might accidentally smile at one another now and, and then all of a sudden you think you're doing good and then boom, here comes the enemy. And he wrecks it all and it all goes, I wanted to title the message this, it all goes to hell in a handbasket. But that's not true. It seems like it, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The title of my message is When All Hell Breaks Loose. I hope you don't have an issue with the word hell because I will say it a whole lot today. I don't think hell's a cuss word. I think it's a real place that some people will spend eternity. And we don't need to be afraid to talk about it. Amen? All right. So I've seen, I've seen Satan loose just a rampage of violence against marriages lately. And here's what's crazy. At the same time, in the matter, in a period of one day to the next, I've seen God swoop in and unleash all of heaven for these people. And what seemed like a disaster yesterday seems like it has hope today. That's how quickly God can move. That's how quickly God can work. When heaven gets behind you, anything can be done. Amen? And so I've been nervous for people, I've been praying for people, I've been worried about people, and at the same time I've been rejoicing with some people. So today I want to show you in the life of David at one of his lowest points of, of his history, 
how he handled the onslaught of the enemy. And I want you to understand something today. What the enemy is using to kill you, God is using to reveal to you his great love and his great purpose for your life. So just because the enemy's coming after you doesn't mean that it's over with for you. God will take his attack and turn it into a fresh revelation of how much he loves you and how much purpose he has for you. So don't freak out because you're under attack. Open your eyes and open your ears and open your heart because God's getting ready to show you something. So David is, we're in, we're in 1 Samuel, we're going to camp out in, in chapter 30, but I'm going to touch on chapter 27 for just one verse. David's on the run from Saul. You remember the story. King Saul's trying to kill David. David's running for his life. Jonathan warned him, you better go. And David's been running. And every time Saul and his army seems to pin David in a corner, God gives David a way out. He gives him a way of escape. Every time, up until verse 20, chapter 27, God gives David a way out. David was pinned in a cave one time, and Saul came in and trapped him in the cave, didn't know he was in the cave, and God still hid him in the rock. And so up until chapter 27, God has been David's provider and protector. But something changed. Chapter 27, verse 1, it says, But David kept thinking to himself. Pay attention to this. He kept thinking to himself. What are those thoughts that you keep thinking? David kept thinking to himself. He said to himself, Self, someday Saul is going to get me. The best thing I can do is escape to the Philistines. Then Saul will stop hunting for me in Israelite territory, and I will finally be safe. So up until this point, David had no reason to think that Saul was going to catch him because God had been protecting David and giving him a way of escape. But now all of a sudden, he starts to think, what changed? His thinking changed. He starts to think, I better do something because this is going to get bad quick. He might catch me, so even though God's been my protector and my provider, I need to go be that for myself. You ever do that in marriage? Mmm. Show got quiet all of a sudden. You ever, you ever get into a dark place where your thinking starts to lead your decisions, and then your decisions get you in all kinds of trouble? In a moment of fear, David makes a decision to protect himself. It's an independent decision. He does not inquire of God. He doesn't ask God if he should go to the Philistines. He doesn't ask God what he should do next. He made the decision on his own. And I'm going to tell you this today. Most of us are in trouble because we're making decisions on our own. Yeah, you don't have to say amen. I know what I'm supposed to say this morning. Son, we get in trouble because we make our own decisions. We lord our own lives. We captain our own ships. Sometimes in life, a near miss will shake you to the point where you start to think you need to create your own sense of safety. Sometimes a near miss will shake you into making your own decisions. So David runs to his enemy, the Philistines, to find protection. And one Philistine king gives him a a piece of land called Ziklag. 
And David occupies this land called Ziklag, but he's in the land of the Philistines, his enemy. Did you hear that? He didn't run to his God, he ran to his enemy. He finds what seems like protection, but was only temporary relief from Saul. It was not a good decision. It was not God's will. And he never asked God what he should do. That independent spirit inside of you today needs to die. Yeah, don't say amen to that. (laughs) While David was in Ziklag, he would raid the Amalekite territories and take their plunder to provide for him and his men. So David's out raiding to create his own provision. So so think about it. David decides to protect himself. He goes to his enemy to find protection, and now he has to provide for himself. But as long as he was doing what God wanted him to do, he didn't have to raid another territory. He didn't have to protect himself. God was protecting him. When are we going to get tired of running outside of God's will for our lives? When are we going to get tired of running outside of God's goodness for us? Soon the Philistines mount up to go against the Israelites. It gets worse, y'all. David wants to go with them. David wants to go with his enemy to fight against his own people. I'm telling you right now, when you start to get some stinking thinking, you'll start to do some stinking things. This is the same people he's supposed to be king over. And he's wanting to go to war with him. And his enemy rejects him and says, no, you ain't coming with us. So David turns around, rejected. They told him to go home. Take your men and go home. We don't want you with us. So David and his men with their tails tucked between their legs take off on a three-day journey back to Ziklag. And I want to pick the story up in 1 Samuel chapter 30. I'm going to read a good bit to you today. We're going to use a lot of scripture today. But I want you to hang on. It's going to be like a story. 1 Samuel 30 verse 1. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. You ever cried that much? David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring me the the ephod. And so Abiathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So David and his 600 men set out, and they came to the brook of Besser. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with 400 men. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in the field. 
shocker, brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisins, for he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and nights. Before long, his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where do you come from? David asked him. I'm an Egyptian, the slave, the slave of an Amalekite. He replied, my master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on the way back from raiding the Carathites in the Negev, the territory of Judah and the land of Caleb, and we had just burned Ziklag. <laughs> Will you lead me to this band of raiders? David asked. The young man replied, if you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I'll guide you to them. So he led David to them, and they found the Amalekites. Pay very close attention. They found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines in the land of Judah. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout the, that night and the entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels, David got everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He also recovered all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock. And this plunder belongs to David, they said. Wow. What a story. I personally believe this is one of David's lowest points in his life. Lowest points. You might would think it was his failure with Bathsheba that was his lowest points. It was a low point, but I think this was his lowest point so far. Because when I read the Psalms and I read the rest of my Bible, I start to see that there's a shift in David somewhere along the way. Something changes inside of David. And let me tell you something. Sometimes on the other side of your greatest failure is your greatest lesson. So I want to answer a couple of questions today. When all hell breaks loose against you, do you ever find yourself asking the question, what the hell just happened? You ever find that? Ain't it, come on, don't leave me hanging this morning. Anybody ever say that? Yeah. I know some of you, y'all lying in church. I've heard you say, what the hell? What the hell has happened? David's exactly where God wants him. He, he, he isn't exactly where God wants him to be, but he's still, watch this, he's still taking ground for the kingdom. This is, this is the mystery of God. Sometimes you can be in your worst condition ever and still be doing something that looks good. David occupies the land of Ziklag. They give it to him. That land stays in the Israelite possession for years and years and years to come. Isn't that amazing? That even in his failure, there's still some good that comes out. Sometimes in marriage, we find ourselves heading in the right direction and gaining some ground, right? Right? I mean, dear God, we're six weeks into a relationship series. Somebody give me a courtesy nod or something. I mean, like, God. Sometimes in marriage, we, we start to think, oh, we're, we're gaining some ground. You tell your best girlfriend, girl, I think we're turning the corner. And, and, you, and you get excited, right? And you're, you're anticipating the next day. And then all of a sudden, bam, here it comes. 
You ever experienced that? Cheryl and I were going to lead a life group one time at somebody else's house. Somebody was hosting the life group, and we were going there to lead the life group. You remember this? We get in the car. It was a sunny afternoon. The birds were chirping. We liked each other. Everything was fine. We get in the car to go lead a life group, and I don't know what happened. She don't know what happened, but we're barking at each other in the car. It looked like two pit bulls locked up in a, in a Toyota Corolla. And I'm going, what the hell? Until we pull up into people's house, we had to get our stuff straight. <laughs> Some of you got to church like that this morning. That's okay. At least you came. But we looked at each other like, what was that? Sometimes we think we're heading in a good direction just because we're not fighting like we were fighting. I don't want to disregard your positive movements, but I want to clear some things up for you today because too many of us start to settle for what's better instead of hanging on for what's good. Your efforts alone will gain you some things, but your efforts alone won't gain you everything. I don't know if you realize this, but your Christian life is not about trying. Your Christian life is about dying. Dying to myself so that Christ can live through me. Amen? So, so the Christian life is surrender and humility. Surrender and humble. Surrender and humble. Do you need to try? Yeah, you need to try. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. But listen to me, you don't get all of it by trying. And some of you are discouraged right now because all you've been knowing is that I just need to try harder. And then you try harder and you get more disappointed because your efforts will never get you everything that God wants you to have. So we celebrate the ground that is gained. We celebrate. We give God praise for that. It feels good, right? And, and many times, I don't know if you realize this or if you've been a Christian long enough, but many times when you make a, a, a conscious decision, a very, a very uh, intentional decision to invite God into, into any area of your life, you all of a sudden do something that I don't think you realize you're doing. Like, like the minute I start to ask God to come into my marriage and make it good, I awaken the enemy of my soul. And he comes at me like never before. Well, the question is, well, where was he when everything else was going bad? Why he didn't mess with me when there was nothing going on? Why did he wait till I prayed for God to move in my life before he started to come and mess things up? Like, hey, don't he just have a little bit of respect for me? No! <laughs> he hates you! You ever notice when you get settled in your life, the enemy tends to back off? One of, the, one of the gauges I use in my Christian walk is that if the enemy ain't messing with me, I must not be messing with him. But the minute you decide to invite God into any area of your life, here he comes. Right? You ever wonder why? This is why. Because as long as you're settled, he's not threatened. After last week's message, I went to my office and I had a question burning in my brain and I wrote it on my whiteboard 
And, and this was the question. Are you bothering God? Meaning, am I bothering God with my request? Am I bothering God to come into my life and make some changes? Am I bothering God? So David and his men are on their way home. They're excited. Anybody like home? I like home. Home's my favorite place, especially when Cheryl's there. <laughs> Even when we're mad at each other, I still love home. <laughs> That's why I don't leave. But home's a comfortable place. It's where family is. It's warm. It's inviting. It's peaceful. It's secure. These guys were coming home with their tails tucked between their legs, and, and they just want to get home. And, and, and the way I see it in my mind is that they're starting to cross a hill into Ziklag, and they see some smoke coming up on the other side of the hill. But this isn't the kind of smoke that comes from supper time. This is too much smoke. And I believe something in their hearts started to change and something started to fall in their hearts and, and some discouragement started to come over them. And when they crossed over the hill, they seen the whole place burn to the ground. You know, when the enemy comes at you in a flood, when he comes at you with a, a, just a swipe of rage, you know he'll knock you off your feet? Do you know he'll knock the breath out of you? Do you know he'll set you back? It'll be like a shock. David finds himself very distressed because he thought he lost everything. And not only did he think he lost everything, but the, the men that he's responsible for lost everything too. So David's completely distressed, devastated. I believe he's at the lowest a man can get. Ever been there? David might have thought he lost everything, but the one thing he couldn't remember that he didn't lose was the Lord his God. Mm. Yeah, we may be heading into some days before too long where the government and people in authority may, may try to shut things down. And they may try to take our freedoms from us. But what, what somebody can never take from you is the Lord your God. He can never take the Lord your God from you. They can take everything, leave you buck naked in the street, but you still got Jesus. And if you got Jesus, you got more than enough. So maybe we need to stop whining about what we don't have and start being grateful for the Jesus we do have. Because the only way out of it is not to focus on what you lost, but to focus on what's ahead of you. What's there to gain. So all hell broke loose against you. Now what do you do? Next question. Now what do you do? The Bible says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Other translations say David strengthened himself in the Lord. What did he do? He strengthened himself. <laughs> you got to get this because there's got to be a little bit of something inside of you as a Christian that you can't depend on everybody all the time. Sometimes you got to strengthen yourself in the Lord. You know why? Because sometimes people don't come around. Sometimes people don't call. They don't check in on you. You need to learn how to strengthen yourself in the Lord. David took responsibility for his own encouragement. 
And by the way, Jesus should be your first source of encouragement, not your last resort. I believe we insult him when we go to people before we go to him. David strengthened himself. At the end of the day, I'm responsible for my encouragement, not other people. So I'm not a victim. David's men were, were talking about stoning him because they were blaming him for everything that happened. So not only was he devastated, he was isolated. But it was only at his lowest point that he starts to discover how great God's mercy is and how powerful God's grace is. Sometimes you got to get to the lowest of the lows before you can see what's really going on. Amen? Amen? But don't try to put yourself at the lowest of lows. Don't worry, life will do that for you. Charles Spurgeon, speaking of David in this, this, this context, he says, God was beginning to cure his servant by a bitter dose of distress. And the evidence of the cure was that he did not encourage himself by his friends or by the hope of others coming, but he encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. Ah, is God your God or is he somebody else's God and you're trying to borrow him from somebody else? Because if he's yours, he's yours. You don't need to borrow him from somebody else. Question, when life falls apart, when all hell breaks loose against you, what is your response? Who do you run to? Because whoever you run to or whatever you run to says a whole lot about who your God is. Are you hearing me this morning? So you may be in here and you may run to porn. You may run to alcohol. You may run to drugs. You may have certain friends that you run to all the time and they war slap out because they can't handle no more of your stuff because they got their own stuff. Who you run into, because whoever you run to first says a whole lot about who your God is or who he's not. You tracking? You see, when the enemy comes at you like this and all hell breaks loose against you, it seems to me that things start to get really loud in my head. I start to hear a voice that's really loud. It's not a familiar voice because God's voice is soft and quiet. But there's this voice that starts to, starts to get really loud in my head. And, and it's telling me what to think. And it's telling me what to say. And if I listen to it, I say things that I shouldn't say. And I do damage that I didn't really intend to do, but I just do damage. Question for you. Whose voice are you listening to? Whose words are you repeating? Whose words are you prophesying? Because the, the last time I experienced this, the enemy was trying to convince me that it was over, that it was too late, that we've gone too far, that there's no hope left, that it'll never change. You ever hear anything like that? You can, some of you could probably add to that. Right? I need to pay attention to who's talking to me. Who am I listening to? 
Let me teach you a quick lesson about sheep. Sheep, good, healthy sheep with a good pasture get really familiar with the shepherd's voice. Why? Because a good shepherd comes every day. A good shepherd's attentive. A good shepherd's engaged. A good shepherd's always with the sheep, moving them here, moving them there, getting them into healthier places. The good sheep get really familiar with their shepherd's good voice. But if somebody else walks into the pasture and says something, they're so familiar with the shepherd's voice that they stand at attention, their ears go up, they look, their heart starts to race, and they're trying to identify, is that my shepherd or is it a stranger? And the minute, the second they realize it's a stranger, they take off and they scatter. How familiar are you with God's voice? How do you get familiar with God's voice? Real quick, you need to read your Bible. Now, before you shut me off, because I've said that four million times since I've pastored this church, is you need to get really familiar with your Bible. You know why? Because in your Bible, you start to learn the phrases of God. You start to identify patterns of how God speaks which helps you understand and realize when he's speaking. You start to realize the type of words he uses. Oh, that's why I read my Bible. Yeah, so you can get familiar with his voice. So when he speaks, you can listen to him and not the stranger's voice. Because I promise you this, the enemy's speaking and his voice is different than God's. You need to ask questions, where are my thoughts coming from? Whose words am I repeating? Charles Spurgeon continued, he said, some of the best talks in the world are those which a man has with himself. Oh, don't, don't look all, all, all holy and sanctified, you talk to yourself. Everybody talks to themselves. Y'all look in the mirror and you talk to yourself. You drive in the car, you talk to yourself. You walk in the park, you talk to yourself until somebody else walks by. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. He continued, he said, he said, he who speaks to everybody except himself is a great fool. Got a word for everybody else, but ain't got one for yourself. Got something to say to everybody else, but can't say the right things to yourself. Mm. I don't know if you realize this or not, but what you speak in your heart can get you into trouble or get you out of trouble. So how did David strengthen himself? Because I don't want some of you to walk out of here with a Christian cliche that says, oh, I need to go strengthen myself in the Lord, and you have no clue what that means. Because I ain't all about that. I ain't about Christian cliches with no meat to the bone. Amen? So how did David strengthen himself? It's important to understand. Number one, he remembered God's great love for him. He remembered God's great love for him. He remembered when he was in the pastures watching over the sheep and he felt and sensed God's love so much that it made him grab his harp and start tiptoeing through the tulips in the pasture because he was, he was experiencing God's great love for him. 
When's the last time you got a little fruity because you understood and was experiencing God's love for you? I broke out and danced the other day at my house. My kids were like, like, what got into you? God's love got into me. He remembered God's great love for him. Number two, he remembered God's promises for him. He remembered that moment when they called him out of the field and made him come home for supper, which he wasn't normally the guy who made it home for supper. And there was this prophet called Samuel, and Samuel was there with some oil, and he remembered that Samuel took the oil and poured it on his head and said, one day, son, you're going to be the king of Israel. He remembered the promises. He remembered God's past deliverances, the bear, the lion, his own family, the giant. He remembered that God had got him out before. Mm. The fourth thing he did was he received the encouragement from God. Oh, he received the encouragement. Some of you, when you get mad and you pop your top, ain't nobody can encourage you. You might get in some kind of religious habit, go and run to God, but you ain't about to get encouraged because your heart's closed off, your ears are plugged up, and you're, and you're mad as a hornet. And God's going, can't do nothing with that. David had to position himself to receive encouragement from God. And then the fifth way that he strengthened himself in the Lord was he, by what he said in his heart. You see, your words are more valuable than you give them credit for. That's how David strengthened himself. Which begs the question, what was actually strengthened? What does it mean to be strong? What did God strengthen in David? Here's just a few things that I, I recognize that, 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 that was strengthened in David. Number one, he was strengthened for recognition. God strengthened him. Watch this. You need to catch this. God strengthened him to recognize what had been going on. God strengthened him with, with, with recognition to understand what he did wrong. Ah, you see, every time Cheryl and I get in one of these dog fights, I storm off into another room and tell God he needs to fix that woman. And then he strengthens me with recognition. And 30 minutes later, I'm walking back to the bedroom with my tail tucked between my legs, humbled by God, and I own my stuff. That is a blessing to recognize what you've done wrong. God strengthened him to recognize. God strengthened him for repentance, to change what he was doing. Some of you, sorry ain't working no more. For some of you, sorry has become an insult. It's time for some change. It's time for some repentance to take off in a different direction, to not do that anymore, but to start doing something better. Amen? God strengthened him for repentance. And then number four, the one I'm really excited about, was that I saw that God strengthened him for determination to win back what the enemy had stolen. God gave him some holy determination. Boy, some of you are lacking a little bit of de 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 determination. You just need some determination. Some of you quit too easy. Soon as the heat comes up, I'm done. 
it don't go your way, I'm done. If it don't change fast enough, I'm done. So that's how David was strengthened, and that's what David was strengthened for. Which begs the question, now that I got my strength back, now what? What do I do now? Because strength wasn't the final goal. Recovery was the final goal. Strength was the process. Are you getting this? So just because you get with God and you get strong don't mean you stop there. You still got some things you need to recover. Some things you need to go into hell's pit and get it back. Because it's yours, it's not his. Amen? David asked, asked the priest for the ephod. What was an ephod? An ephod was an apron that the priest would put on so when they sacrificed animals, the blood wouldn't get on their robes. So a, a normal priest had a, a very plain apron. But a high priest had an apron with two pouches on it, and in each pouch was a stone. And each stone represented something. David likely had the, the high priest ephod, his apron. The two stones are called umen and thumen. Umen meaning light and thumen meaning perfection. So David asks for the apron, he puts the apron on, and then he starts to ask God some questions. What was David doing? He was asking God to shed some light on my situation and give me your perfect will on my next steps. You see, when you go and you strengthen yourself in the Lord, you got to get some light on the situation, and then you need to invite God to give you his perfect will for your next steps. Because if you don't, you're going to take your own next step, and it's going to get you in more trouble. He said, Lord, I need some light, and I need some perfect will right now. I don't need any other thing else. I don't need anything else. I don't need anybody else's opinion. I need light and perfect will. What do I do next? We have to, listen to me, have to, have to, have to learn how to wait on the Lord. David waited on the Lord. He asked God to shed light. He asked God to give him his perfect will for his next steps. And he did not move until he got it. How long do you pray? Till you get it. Till you get light and you get perfect will. That's how long you stay. If you get up any sooner than that, you're going half cocked. David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover. Big word right here. You will surely recover everything. Oh, what did David get? David got permission and David got a promise. Oh, let me tell you something. If he gets up after he gets permission and goes after the enemy, he stops halfway there because permission alone won't get you to the enemy's camp. He had to have a promise. What was the promise? The promise, you won't get everything back. What got him all the way to fighting the enemy for two days? He had a promise. Permission wasn't enough to get him there. 
He had a promise. He stayed long enough for God to shed the light and give him his perfect will for his situation. But I want you to hear something today. Only David could have turned his heart back to God. But when David turned his heart back to God, God turned the heart of his men back to him. And David, the Bible doesn't say that David asked them to go with him. The Bible just says David went and they went too. You see, if you'll just take responsibility for yourself and turn your heart back to God, God can turn anything else around in your life. But it doesn't start until you turn your heart around. So what happens next? David gets involved in some faith-filled fighting. Some of you are good at fighting. And I applaud you on that. You just need to fight the right fight. Oh, you scrappy. Tasmanian devil. Don't want to scrap with you for nothing. What would happen if you started fighting the right fight? You took that scrappiness and that, that tornado spirit you got and you started fighting the right fight. Some of you ain't got no issues fighting. You just got issues fighting the right fight. Amen? David began to fight a faith-filled fight. David came out from talking with God and strengthened himself in the Lord, and he was ready to go take back what was stolen from him. David was ready to go even if no one else was willing to go with him. You got to hear this today. Too many times in marriage, God will deal with us and we'll go, I'll change when they change. So if I don't see no change in them, I ain't changing myself. Why even try? Question, whose obedience was David responsible for? His or his men? His. So whether his men with, with, went with him or not, he was still supposed to go. Ha, when God corrects you, you're supposed to do what he says. Don't look around for somebody else to give you an excuse. Just do what God told you to do and then trust him to do what he said he's going to do. You'll never know what he can do until you do what you got to do. Mm. Yeah, but Pastor, you don't know who I'm married to. I don't care who you're married to. God's principles still work. If you'll be obedient, he'll be obedient. David left Ziglag with a heavenly determination to get back what was stolen. Mm. You see, when you get a heavenly determination, God brings some supernatural provision. Who they found in the middle of the field? A sick Egyptian who knew exactly where the enemy was. Uh, did he just pop up right there? You think maybe while David had the ephod and he was, he was strengthening himself in the Lord that God caused maybe sickness to fall on this Egyptian and they kicked him to the curb and he's laying in the field because God knew that once David turned his heart back to him, he might just run into an Egyptian in the field? What does that mean, Pastor? That means this, that when you turn your heart to back to God, God brings the provision you need to get where you're going. You see, David was in a time crunch. 
The enemy hadn't killed anybody yet, but if he delays, David had to get where he was going now. You want me to tell you what I, what I feel God doing lately? God's starting to put some pressure on some things. Some things need to be done right now. Like, yeah, it's all peaches and cream, and we can see, oh, praise Jesus, oh, praise Jesus when Jesus comes home and all this. But listen to me. Sometimes God goes, you need to do that now, right now. Why? Because it's time sensitive. Amen? So he led David to them, and they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields eating. This verse bothers me. He led David to them, and they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating, drinking, and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines in the land of Judah. Here's something prophetic for you today. God told me he's sick and tired of the enemy dancing over your plunder. He's had enough. Think about Satan and all of his little demons and demonettes dancing over your plunder. Hell comes at you. You say all kind of stuff to one another. You damage one another. You're, you're doing more damage than you're doing good. And the enemy's just laughing and dancing and throwing a party over your stuff. And it needs to stop today. David rolls up on the field where they're at. And they're eating and drinking and dancing with joy over his plunder. Over his promise. Over his purpose. Stepping on it. Dancing on it. You seeing it? Question. How long are you going to allow the enemy to dance over your plunder? David and his men, with permission and a promise, <clears throat> rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout the night and the entire next day until evening. How long do you fight until the enemy's dead? If you're tired, keep swinging. Just keep swinging, just keep swinging, just keep swinging. It's Nemo. Just keep swimming, just, just keep swinging. Just keep swinging. You could be flat on your back and still be swinging. Until the next evening, none of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back, promise fulfilled. If he don't go, he don't get the promise. Oh, you got to see this today. He also recovered all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the, the other livestock. And his plund this plunder belongs to David, they began to say. David's heavenly determination caused him to fight until his enemy was dead or fleeing. 
which means this. Don't settle because we're not as bad as we used to be. Because listen to me clearly today, God has good for you. He doesn't just have better for you. He has good for you. Let me show you to you, Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to wrap this up. I hope you, and I hope and pray that you hear this, these verses like never before from the Father's heart. Listen to what it says, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, <laughs> married couples... You should be submitting to one another. Ladies, that should make you feel better. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Say everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. I think I would rather submit. Because Jesus loved the church all the way to the cross. And it was painful. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her. Listen to me. You need to present her to yourself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Pay attention to that. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. One. Joined together. When Cheryl and I are one, we're good. If we're three quarters, we ain't good. Marriage is a picture of Jesus' relationship with the church. You can preach without opening your mouth. <laughs> Some of you, all you heard was submit and die. You didn't hear anything else. You stop right there. I ain't receiving that. That's not the Lord. Each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Question for you. Are you willing to strengthen yourself in the Lord when all hell breaks loose against you? Do you love the other person enough? to go back and get what the enemy has stolen. Because the last time I checked, he's dancing over it right now. And it's time to stop.
when all hell's, hell breaks loose against you, what do you do? Where do you go? Who do you run to? And what do you expect to happen? Come on, bow your heads this morning. Have you lost your determination? Have you become more determined to find a way out than to find a way through? Are you struggling today to find strength in the Lord? Is your relationship not there? Where do you find yourself today? I pray you can recognize where you are today. Have I become settled? Complacent? Have I just accepted the lies of the enemy as my new truth for life? This is the way it'll always be. I'll just suffer all the way to heaven. I pray today over every one of us that there would be a holy determination that rises up inside of us. That even though I'm tempted and I feel like running from God, instead this determination from heaven will cause me to run to God. And what used to be my pattern for crisis is changed now. I don't run away from it anymore. I don't fight for no reason. I run to Jesus and I find strength in Jesus and he gives me a word and he gives me a promise. And then I go back and I take what was stolen. Lord, help us today to know what to do when all hell breaks loose. When the enemy comes in like a rage. Help us to remember what David did. Help us to do things just like that. That we'll strengthen ourselves. And we'll wait long enough to get a promise and with permission. And we'll see you move in a mighty way in and through our lives. So today, God, I'm determined to see marriages healed. I'm determined to see lives changed. I'm determined to see transformation. I'm determined to see a people go back into hell's pit and get back what was stolen from them. I'm determined today. And God, I thank you for this determination. And what was stolen will come back in the name of Jesus. Can you agree with that this morning? That what was stolen and what was forfeited will come back in the name of Jesus. Everything will come back in Jesus' name. So, Father, we bless you. We thank you. We worship you today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?